This is Dan Fagell, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. It's Thursday, so we're talking about making the business case for AI in the enterprise. I'm excited about the topic and theme of this episode because it's one that's dear to my heart. Here at Emerge, we're generally brought in by enterprise firms when it comes time to pick AI projects, picking high ROI AI projects, what has evidence of results, what are our competitors doing, what might be the best fit for our data, and where's the best place to start. There's a lot of ways to answer that question, there's a lot of frameworks to think through, but our guest this week leans on the side of going big. Babak Hochat is our guest this week. Uh, we've had Babak on the program before. Excellent guest. I have tremendous respect for his experience. Very few people can say that they've been doing AI for 20 years. But Babic's first Bay Area startup, which was based around artificial intelligence, was in 1998. He was also founder of Sentient Technologies, which was a company that raised over $100 million to apply AI initially to trading in the markets and then a whole bunch of other various and sundry applications. Also based in the Bay Area, now he's VP of Evolutionary AI at Cognizant, one of the world's largest kind of IT integrator, IT services firms. Babic speaks with us this week about why it makes sense to pick big problems. His phrase from this episode that I like and that I may use in future episodes and give him credit is that AI should be disruptive. Ultimately, we want to be able to shake things up to enough of a degree and be able to expect some of the challenges that come along with that in order to see changes that are significant. Again, different companies are going to have different approaches. There's a lot of different ways to answer the question, what should we do first? But I think there are strong arguments for something a little bit more disruptive, a little bit more upfront. And Babic makes a good argument therefore, And based on his experience, I think it's worth listening in. So without further ado, let's fly right into this episode. This is Babic Hojot with Cognizant here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Babak, in this interview, I really want to focus on a big hurdle that actually we've heard a lot on the vendor side, which is, hey, I want to be able to sell AI, get AI into an enterprise. But of course, you know, we need to overhaul data infrastructure. We need to clean data. Teams need to come together and bring their insights together and think through the problem in these crazy deeper ways. It's not just a plug and play software. Is there a way to frame that learning, frame that adapting, frame that new foundation building as a win? Um, how do you think about that? Yes, I do believe that still at the uh, level that AI is, there's a lot of work up to the point where you actually use the AI that's really not AI. And I think that should be part and parcel of the package. We should bring that up front. We should make sure it's understood. You know, people are on an AI journey. And often the folks that we talk to are in a very, very early stage yep. for that. But here's what's really important, though. Uh, we need to make sure we envision that end state of how AI uh, can be and should be used before we work back to that uh, current status, which is, you know, where's the data and how should I you know, collect the features, what kind of feature uh, management I should do, and even what should I be collecting? So surprisingly enough, you actually run into businesses that have been, you know, collecting data for years now, but there are some key data elements that are not being collected that could have been used for the AI state, which is, it's okay, all is not lost, you know, you have to start somewhere and you better start and there might be third party sources for that data too. But the only way to actually recognize that is to start from the AI. So all is not lost for an AI vendor, I think, if they think of it as a journey, and they bring in uh, either themselves or through partnerships, you know, the necessary 
steps that are like building the infrastructure towards getting to the AI stage. I think that's important to be able to identify. And it's not as if you go in and talk to a business or a customer and go, uh, well, you know what? You're not ready for me. I'm going to come back in two years. In fact, you need to be starting about the uh, thinking about the AI today and put, putting the blueprint together. And I think you can still build some POCs and early pilots even early on in parallel as you're actually building up the data infrastructure. Yeah. Well, I think in an ideal world, maybe that would be the case. It would seem to me, Babak, and, and push back on this if you think about it differently. It would seem like you brought a good point. Think about the end state first, and then your transformation is going to come from there. If you, if you just start you know, collecting data, but you're not thinking about what it's going to be used for, well, now we might have been missing the boat. So exactly. it, it seems like in some kind of a a really obscure, bizarro world that doesn't exist. Companies would really think through all the places they could leverage AI, all the ways their core data infrastructure needs to evolve and teams need to work together. And they would do that sort of at at a company level. And then they would also start to integrate vendors to aid with those parts of the transition. That feels like too much to expect from an enterprise. Maybe you don't even think it's the right way to do it. It seems like the way it happens is a vendor shows up and says, hey, you know, you wanted it to bring us in for this fraud detection thing. Well, look, there's going to be some modernization stuff we got to do here. We're going to have to work with this data. We're going to, and and these the vendors are almost the they're like the the explosion points for where the transformation is going to happen. And so it happens in these weird pockets. From an enterprise perspective, now is that a downside? Is that an upside? I mean, what, what's the what's the middle ground there? I think it's a forcing function that's necessary, and I think it's you know you're when you when you start speaking to that, it's a pain that uh, most enterprises have already felt. I mean, internally, a lot of folks are actually investing in AI and data science and so forth. And, you know, you talk to data science folks or AI folks at these businesses, and they're basically expressing the frustration that we're not, we're not there, you know, that the data is not in a state to be consumed. Uh, you know, we're, we're still far from that. So if you actually come in and show them the roadmap to get there and help them clarify that to the decision makers within the enterprise that this journey is one that is worth taking, then I think it makes sense. You know, you have your champion in-house as well, and you're working together. It's, it's a familiar journey. Look, digitization is already a journey that a lot of businesses are on, and they're not, it's not far from complete. Yep. And this is just the next step from that. And it's, I think, very much aligned with that, except for the fact that when you talk about going digital, uh, that end state is kind of murky and it kind of shifts and changes depending on the fashion of the day. When you talk about AI enablement, now you're actually thinking about the problem that needs to be solved, not the state, you know, the fact yeah. that it's on the cloud or not, yeah. or if you're using yeah. Kubernetes or not, you know, that is just, you know, a, a means to an end. And guess what? The AI is the end, at least the, the end that we can envision right now. Yeah, so yeah. bringing that is a unique perspective. So I'm, I'm imagining, and this kind of takes us into the second part of the question, I'm imagining I'm an in-house, you know, head of compliance in a bank or, you know, in our work, a lot of the time it's a head of innovation or strategy that we'll work with or something. And, and their job is to now convey to their boss or whoever's part of, you know, cutting the check that, hey, look, we want to do this anti-money laundering thing. We think that this is going to be, you know, I mean, for regulatory stuff, it's going to be critical. We also, we believe it's going to, you know, other folks have seen ROI, whatever. You know, there's a lot that has to change in terms of how the teams work together. We're going to need a little bit more data science talent in-house. We cannot count on vendors entirely. And, and we're, we're probably going to have to change the way we store our data and what kinds of stuff we track and in what formats. And that's going to be a big shift. Now, I've got to 
I've got to get that upstairs. How the heck do I get that upstairs in a way that feels like a win? Is there a way to frame that transformation as part of the upside in addition to any financial ROI? Is there a way to do that to square that circle? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think it's not easy. It's a process. We're not selling shrink wrap software. Definitely not. Uh, right. So you have to go in and, and sell a story, a journey, and sell it by saying that in every step of this journey, there is ROI to be extracted. And uh, yeah, it starts with uh, explaining how that digitization journey and, uh, uh, you know, moving stuff to the cloud, if that's, if that's what needs to be done, uh, you know, the future engineering, the collection of extra data, how at every step it will uh, give you value. I think, again, in most cases that I've seen, you can also, in fact, quantify the ROI of the end state by doing some pilots and POCs too, at least on a fraction of the data that goes through the system. And just, you know, as part of phase one, not only have you started off on, you know, prepping the data and building the piping and all that, but you've also shown that in some instances where the data was already there, uh, you know, here's the ROI that can be expected. And so then extrapolating from that, uh, can give you the big, you know, here's what, you know, the the light at the end of the tunnel that we're all striving for. But, uh, you know, I, I do think that the best case to be made is that along the way, there's ROI to be extracted too. Selling the journey. I think that's important. If you're an in-house person selling to leadership, sell the journey. If you're a vendor, probably you got to sell the journey here because like you said, vendors are going to be the catalysts to make some of that initial transformation happen. It's the forcing function, which I thought was a really great way of putting it. I'm thinking, you know, it feels to me like if I'm talking to the man upstairs who's going to cut the big check here, to get them to buy in on the journey feels important, right? I might understand the journey, but to have them get that, you know, there's going to be things to modernize, a new framework, a new rich soil that we're going to be able to plant our future digital gardens, AI gardens, and that there's value to that. It feels like unless the person upstairs buys into helping to form that vision, it's really, really hard to get them to stick with it when we run into another six months of cleaning the data or we hit a hit back or, or some kind of setback or whatever. Can we solve that somehow? Is there, are there ways to try to involve people in a more deep way that you found useful? Yeah, I think uh, I've seen both sides of this. I mean, there is the case where you have to sell it to the sea level and get their strategic buy-in. In some cases that works. And in fact, in some cases there's a pull for that because the C-level is already oriented to think strategically. So, so selling them AI at a strategic level is not very hard. In fact, some of the pushback you get is out in the field. You know, huh. they, they get disrupted in the short term. So this, there's that side. Uh, and then I've seen the other side where actually the pull comes from the field that the problem is very real to them and you have to solve that. And by solving that, you can then take that to the C-level and say, look, I've done this for this department for this particular use case and here's the ROI that you're getting. But look, this was really, really tough and you need to you know, really think strategically about this, upgrade you know, your data infrastructure and all that to, to get there. Uh, but here's one instance that we've done. So I think I've seen it happen both ways or even together, there is a will to upgrade. It's there. And so I think it's just a question of being able to capitalize on that and be ambitious enough to tackle those strategic problems. Again, don't leave the problem as being this niche little side thing because you've heard that you know AI can do something really cool with pattern matching yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. 
uh, you know, be ambitious about the problem is, is what I would think. Got it. So, um, so there's a will to upgrade. You got to be able to tap into it. It's really, you know, you mentioned sometimes it comes from the field and we got to sell it upstairs. Sometimes it comes from upstairs and then the field is going to be the pushback. That's really interesting. Is there a different way as, as someone who is, you know, serving big enterprise? I mean, you guys work with some of the biggest companies in the whole world. Is there almost a different way of thinking through those two scenarios? Like pull from the C-suite versus pull from the field? Are there like rules of thumb around the either or that, that, that you think are useful? I mean, they speak different languages. I mean, you gotta, and, and bridging bridging the two is difficult. And therefore, I think usually you have to, you can't do it simultaneously. You you start from either end, and you're selling something very differently. So very different. So you know the pod down in the leaf that's actually in the gutter, kind of working on immediate problems, will want to see immediate solutions. And so you have to frame the problem as being much more immediate to them, and they're as a result, less strategic to the company, perhaps, but you know, then that extrapolation helps you. And then you have the other side where you've actually got to sell it strategically to the C-level, and then you still have the sell down to you know, the folks that would resist it down. And, and so I think there, it's a fine balance. I think it can be done. It's a longer sales cycle than, again, selling shrink wrap, yep. uh, but it can be done. And the will is there. I mean, the pull is there, definitely. It can be done, I think. Huh. So, okay. So closing little bit of advice here was, you know, you can't go to both at once. Figure out where the initial will and that magnetism is coming from. Resonate with it. Align with it. Figure out how you're going to, uh, you know, tie it all together. And then you can go to the other party uh, and, and say, look, here's how we're going to find a match here. Then you can start talking strategy if it's C-suite. Or then you can start talking more immediate changes if you're talking to the field people. But yeah. begin with where you start. That's right. And either way, I think you end up, you want to end up doing the same thing either way. If you're tackling this from, you've sold it to the C-suite, this is a strategic thing. You want to actually start with smaller nibbles anyway, right? So after the C-suite is convinced, you go down the chain, you want to actually sell them the nibble, not the strategy. That's going to overwhelm them, right? And vice versa, you've actually sold it down the chain, and now you want to go to the C-suite, you need to extrapolate and say, look, what I built for these guys here, let me show you what this can be, you know, in two years, three years, four years, uh, when you actually have your infrastructure in place, and you've actually propagated across your entire enterprise. Yes. Okay. So you're going to have to have big and small picture. You're going to have to have strategic value locked in and more immediate value locked in anyway. So what you're saying is you're just going to connect those dots no matter what party you start with. I think so. That's yeah. a really yeah. useful way to think about it. I like that one, Babak. I have not heard that yet, but I, I've been taking notes our way through, and, and I'm glad we got that one in. So I know the second one was going to be a shorter episode. Babak, that's all we got for time. Thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you very much, Dan. A pleasure. So that's all for this Thursday Making the Business Case episode here on the AI in Business podcast. If you are an AI consultant, whether you work at a big firm like Babbitt's firm here, Cognizant, uh, or you have your own small shop, uh, you're maybe a partner or a co-founder of a management consultancy or IT and AI consultancy, and you're interested in making the business case. What I know about our audience is a lot of you are selling these kinds of services. You tune in so that you can make a better business case when it comes to working with clients, delivering results with clients, and turning AI in your business case from a nice to have to a need to have. 
We've created Emerge Plus exactly for subscribers like you and listeners like you. Emerge Plus is our full library of artificial intelligence use cases, as well as our AI best practice guides. This will help you with applying and adopting artificial intelligence, finding AI ROI, and these are insights extracted from these exact interviews you're listening to here, as well as our AI opportunity landscape research. Nobody other than PLUS members gets access to these best practice resources, and nobody has access to our white paper library or our use case library other than PLUS members. If you want to make a stronger business case, please consider checking out Emerge Plus. And if you do join because of the podcast, be sure to drop us a line and let us know. You can learn more about Emerge Plus at emerj.com slash p1. That's p as in plus one. emerj.com slash p1. Check out Emerge Plus. If you're an internal uh, AI innovation or strategy leader, you might enjoy Emerge Plus as well. But I know the majority of the members in the last two months have really been folks in uh, AI consultancies, people running smaller firms or working for bigger consultancies who really want more ammunition when it comes to making a stronger business case. This podcast series is for you and plus is for you. So please do check it out. Other than that, I'm going to wrap up this one. We're going to be diving back into AI use cases on Thursday. So be sure to join us back here on the AI and business podcast.